0: I want to be able to live life feeling wealthy and abundant, regardless of how much money I have in the bank account. Like I don't want the amount of money I have in the bank to reflect my self worth or how I feel like, how abundant I feel like my life is. Because I think that money we have is only one aspect of our life and the true abundance we have. I am abundance in health. I am abundant in love. I am abundant in purpose and I am abundant in fulfillment. I don't want how much money I make or how little money I make to reflect or affect the truth of me feeling abundant no matter what. Welcome to Beyond the
1: Dollar, a podcast where we have deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. I'm Sarah Lee Kane, your host, and this is your space to explore your relationship with money. The guilt, stress, exhilaration, and fear, no topic is taboo. In this episode, I chat with Grace Chan, a commercial pet photographer who's worked for pretty big brands such as Purina and Tinder. She's also the host of the Creativity School podcast. We chat about her money story and upbringing as an Asian female, how she fell into a career as a creative, which led to her unique career as a commercial pet photographer. We also talk about why we need to stop hiding from the fact that creativity is for everyone. It's not just about creating art and how we can cultivate the skill in all professions to help improve our bottom line. Now, can you believe that we've reached the end of season four? Please stick to the end to hear some updates about what's going on with the podcast, how you can continue living beyond the dollar, and ways to keep in touch with the community. To find resources we shared in this episode, head over to www.beyondthedollar.co. Get ready, grab a seat, and let's go Beyond the Dollar. Grace, welcome to Beyond the Dollar. I am so excited to chat with you today.
0: Hi, Sarah. I am so excited to be on. I love your show.
1: Oh, thank you. I don't remember. I think I know. I know I started following you on Instagram and I just was like, puppies and dogs. (laughs) (laughs) I just love it. So I'm so glad that you agreed to come on and chat about money and creativity and being a creative and making, you know, living off. Because I think The whole stereotype like starving artists or you can't make money doing what you love or even just with creatives in general who are like, quote unquote, successful in terms of their relationship with money and their work. It's just so complicated because I talk to so many creatives who want to earn a decent income doing something they love. So like, I'm really curious about your relationship with money and how you earn a living being a uh, commercial pet photographer.
0: Yeah. I I love talking about all this creativity and specifically money. I think it's so important. Like you said, we have this belief in culture that the starving artist myth is real. And I know for sure that was a message ingrained into me in my own family and upbringing because my parents are Korean immigrants. They came here in 1970 and they came here with literally $500 in cash and a suitcase each. And that was back in 1970. And that was all the South Korean government would allow citizens to leave the country with and so for them making money was such an important thing for their children they wanted to make sure that their children had a better life and more stability than they had and how do you achieve that making money and so their scope of how to make money was very very limited to doctor lawyer engineer or you know what my parents called quote unquote professional jobs and creative jobs were not at all in their vision. And by extension, that wasn't in mine either, because when you're a kid, you need to be able to see things and see the possibilities for things. And honestly, like I did not know that creative jobs could even exist. I don't know if you had that experience growing up, Sarah, because I know you're Asian as well. And I just, I think that it's something that is very, very cultural within our own Asian American community, but not unique to the Asian American community. I think that this belief is, you know, throughout all many cultures, you know, especially for people who are coming from communities where there's less income and less possibility. Again, it's it's being able to have examples of real life people who can show you that it is possible to make money being creative. And me personally, I never, ever saw that.
1: Yeah, no, my and I've talked about this in previous episodes, like my entire family extended are accountants, <laughs> or wow, Or somehow in the banking industry, and so that's all every anyone really ever did. Like my dad opened his own business, so he sold like computer parts and things like that. But aside from that, that's all I really was exposed to. And so I was a bit of a rebel, and so I wanted to be an artist because I didn't. I was like, I'm not doing anything related to finance. I'm not, you know, going to banking, anything like that. But I didn't really have, like you said, I didn't really have an example because growing up Asian. It was, yeah, like a, you want a stable job that offered a pension. That's kind of what my mom and dad wanted for me, which like compromised and, and became a teacher because that's pretty stable, I guess you can say. But yeah, the only person I think in my family that did anything re- related to art was my cousin. She opened an art gallery, but that was mm. like a hobby thing. So it wasn't like she didn't make serious money out of it. But you're right. Like it's, it's really interesting growing up how I ended up in a creative career, even though for my family, my extended relatives, it wasn't something that they thought was the best because of of this their relationship with money, right? Like it's like let's work, find the highest paying career, whatever that is, and for them, it's accounting and wealth management, and then just work till I don't know however old you are, and then and yeah. then retire. So,
0: and I think to you know, especially in Asian community, we have to consider you know in a lot of these countries, they were still recovering from war, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And from very devastating things. And so it's really hard to focus on things like, let me do what I love. What's my passion? What brings me joy? Like when you're just trying to survive to meet your basic needs. So for people coming from a culture like that, I completely understand why making money is such a priority. Because you need it to live, right? And what's funny in my family is my mom always tells me five generations back, my grandfather was actually a very, very famous artist in Korea. She says he's written up in history books and his pieces are very, very expensive. But now, right? So at the time, he wasn't rich. It's only now, years later, where his work is worth a lot of money. So there's also that other thing too, where it's like, oh, you can be an artist, but you're not going to make money until you die, right? So there's just like so many, (laughs) so many beliefs, limiting beliefs we have out in culture about being creative and having the ability to make money. And so for me, I was always a really creative kid, like so creative. And my parents were wonderful because they really encouraged that little artist in me. And anytime they saw me express interest in something, they exposed me to it even more. And I'm so thankful for that. So if they saw I was interested in piano, they got me lessons. If they saw I was interested in art, they put me in art classes. But by the time I got to junior high school, they made it very, very clear, Grace, we know you're good at this and we know you like it, but these are hobbies. You're never, ever going to be able to make money doing this and you need to get a professional job. And to have a professional job, you need good grades. So from junior high school all through college, my main focus was studying and getting really good grades so I could go get a professional job. And they really wanted me to be a doctor. And I don't want this to sound like like I was forced to do it because I was along for the ride. Like I said, I didn't have any examples in front of me that I could see that showed me the possibility. Like you can take these talents and gifts you have and monetize them and turn it into a career. I did not have that. So when they said to me, This is the best for your future, be a doctor, make money, have a stable life, I was like, Great, I'll do it. And so I studied really hard, similar to you. I had to compromise though, because I love animals. So I said, well, if I have to study medicine, like let it involve cute animals at the very least. So I decided to be a vet. But you know, thankfully throughout this whole time of studying really hard, pulling all nighters, getting perfect grades, I still maintained my creative passions. And it's something that I'm so passionate about talking today because your creative passions are the seed. They are the genesis of tapping into what you like, what you desire. It's sort of like the very beginning stages of your roadmap to where your life can go. And I'm so thankful that I was still able to maintain that connection with the things I love to make because by the time I got to my senior year of college, I discovered finally, wow there are people out there being creative, making a living at it, and I want to do it too. And so I threw all my eggs in a basket. I applied to a graduate program at an art school. And by some miracle, I got in and I became an art director in the advertising industry. And you know, you're know, you being very creative in the ad world, right? You're taking real world problems that clients have and try to put their message out in the most effective, creative communication possible. So Thankfully, you know, I was able to make that leap and live a life where, wow, I'm being creative. I'm getting paid really good money for it, but it just, something didn't feel right. And I realized it's not just about making money being creative. It's about making the things you love while being creative. And that's how I ended up finding my way into animal photography.
1: That is so awesome. I love what you just said about, you know, not about, about doing something being creative doing something that you love like as you're saying that i was thinking about my teaching career for the last 10 years before i transitioned into writing is what i loved most about it was getting creative with planning units and understanding what made my students tick and how i could help them learn in the way that they do best like to me that was that is a creative career too like it doesn't have to be art or I don't know writing things like that. Like there's so many ways to inject creativity in the work that you do. Now, granted, if you're like a rocket scientist or a doctor,
0: <laughs> maybe you can't deviate. But but you still are creative. Yeah. No, I'm really glad you brought this mm-hmm. up because I think again, there's another misconception that creativity is limited to art, music, writing. You know the mm-hmm. arts. And there's also another misconception that not everybody is creative. So it's very limited to special people who have this very unique gift and their gifts have to manifest in this very specific way in the arts and i don't believe in any of that so i have a show a podcast now called creativity school and i truly believe all creativity is is our unique human expression it's an energy in us that wants to come out that energy and expression is absolutely unique because we are unique right mm-hmm. and so all we have to do is start allowing that energy to come out in whatever that form is and cultivate it and allow it to grow. So that can be, like you said, Sarah, through you know the creative curriculums you're coming up with. That is absolutely creative because you're coming up with different ways where your message can reach your students. And so I really think creativity is sometimes it's like problem solving, right? You're bringing a unique solution to the world that maybe people haven't seen it before And if it's coming from you, they've probably never seen it before because you're unique. Everybody has their own way of expressing that. So again, I just think creativity is not for the chosen few. And it is not this thing that lives in this very small box.
1: Love it. I'm going to I want to circle back with a pet photography. But first, I want to talk about that idea of like creative expression and tapping to your gifts, because I think that really, to me, has a direct correlation with money. You know, just going back to my example of creating these projects for my students, one of them. I mean, I'm so proud of my students because they did the work. I merely guided them, but they were so successful in what they did that it actually garnered new, like, so much attention to the school that I was teaching at. That wow. that parents were signing up their kids. Wow! And so, if you are, you know, tapping into your creativity and whatever means, and you're really—I don't want to use the word passionate, but if you're really in tune with what is going around you and how to, you know, just do good work and not prove it, I guess, like really advocate for yourself in terms of that. like things will happen in terms of your career and even just growing your money. Like I'm thinking even if you want to, let's say invest like if you're really creative with <laughs> I'm getting really geek- geeking out on this, but if you're like really geeking out on your portfolio and diversifying like you know getting creative with that, like that could grow your money. so i'm I'm thinking in terms of that too.
0: for sure. and I think that this is the distinction is like you can be creative and not make money at it, and that's okay. Right. I think in this culture now, there's so much pressure on people. Like you did something and you did it really well and somebody liked it. And now it's like, so you're going to start a business with that? Oh, where are you going to start selling that? And I just want to make it clear. Like you don't have to do that if you don't want to, but if you want to now take your creative passion or whatever service it is that you're providing to the world and monetize it, I feel like at this point, it's entirely possible. Like if I can make a long, sustainable career, for the last 11 years being an animal photographer like I feel like it's possible for anybody cuz that is truly the weirdest job and it's not a job that I even knew existed when I was a kid right but here's the thing is that if you want to make money with what you love it has to be more than what you love it has to now fulfill a need in the marketplace there has to be a gap somewhere where people feel like they're not getting something and your creative expression is filling that gap so to tie it back to what you were saying Sarah You were teaching in an entirely new way that was working and effective. And that's all parents want. All parents want is for their children to be excited about school and engaged about what they're learning. And through your creativity, you figured that out and then raised the visibility of the school, which then in turn raised how much money you guys were making, right? And so I think that math applies to any sort of creative outlet. And it's really about finding that gap. What is that need that your creativity is fulfilling? And then just do more of it and be awesome at it. And you'll probably be able to make money doing it very well.
1: I love that. I, I'm just so fascinated with pet photography, like commercial pet photography and how you talked about it can't just be your passion, but there has to be a need for it. So I'm really curious, like what, why do you think there's such a need for professional pet photographer, commercial mm-hmm. <laughs> pet photography? And how did you, know, I'm sure it's gonna be a long story, but how did you stumble upon that?
0: Yeah. So I'm going to back up a little bit. Okay. Because it is a long story. Like you said. So I was working in advertising. I was totally stressed out advertising. I don't know if you've seen Mad Men, but I feel like it's just accurate. Like just (laughs) high stress, toxic male environment. You name it. Like, I mean, like I would say I feel like I'm a doctor on call, but I'm just making ads. Like I'm not saving lives doing it because you're at the whim and mercy of your client. We are like human idea factories, All right, We go in, present our ideas, they all get killed and we need brand new ideas by the end of the day. So you're just like churning out ideas, cranking out ideas. I was burned out, I was stressed out. So again, I was just like, I just need to do something that I love. What can I do right now to make myself feel happy? And I thought, okay, you know what? I'm gonna start taking headshots of homeless dogs to help them get adopted on the weekend. I did not go into it thinking I wanted to make money doing it because again, it was volunteer work. But that blew up. People were like, oh, can you do my pets? You know, And I turned it into a pet photography business. So it turned into a side hustle that I was working at nights and weekends. And I did that for about nine months. And then I quit my job in advertising to focus on pet photography full-time. And that business was a family pet photography business. So people are paying me hundreds of dollars to show up at their house and get beautiful portraits of their animals and their pets. And then they can buy products and books and giant canvas gallery prints. People were spending a lot of money doing this. And I think it's also because, again, I was filling a gap in the market. When I started my business, I did not see the pet photography I wanted out in the world. And so I think it's so important to make the stuff that you want to see in the world. And the pet photography I wanted in the world did not exist because I was an art director, I was a designer, and I wanted work that felt fresh and lifestyle. I wanted the dog to be in their home environment so that everything in the photo is adding to the story of the animal. And as I'm saying this now in 2019, I mean, this is basically all you see now out on Instagram and on websites with pet photography. But this didn't exist when I started back in 2008. And in 2008, people did not want to be in the pictures. And every time I asked, like, "Hey, do you want to be in the pictures with your pets?" They're like, "Oh, no, no, no! It's not about me. It's about the dog." And I remember one client was like, "Yes, I want to be in the pictures, please! Like, I want to be in like all the pictures." And I was like, "Great!" Everyone always says no, so now I get to practice with you. I put the pictures up on my blog, and it blew up. And after that day, nobody said no. Everyone said yes, I want to be in the pictures. And so I was doing a couple things, right? Where I saw a need in the marketplace. I was creating the stuff I wanted to make, which was lifestyle images and people with their pets. And I did very well with that up until I would say about 2014 was when I officially retired that business because around 2010... So I started my business in 2008. Around 2010, a few years later is when ad agencies started calling. And so this story, I'm going to tell you about what happened, but I'm also going to tell you what I learned from this experience When I quit my job in advertising in 2008, I swore up and down that I would never do commercial work. And the reason why I said that was because it scared the crap out of me. Like (laughs) being an art director, right? And like you see these like fancy photo reps coming into the agency with these beautiful portfolios. These photographers are so talented at what they do. And. I looked at all that and I was like, I am never doing that. I'm going to stay happy being a family pet photographer and there's no way I'm doing that. And I said that because it scared me. I, I just imposter syndrome, I guess. Like I felt like I would number 1 never be at that level. And number 2, I realized I didn't want that pressure because a family photo shoot, I show up, I get paid a couple hundred dollars. If I mess up, I can tell the client I messed up. Can we reshoot it? It's no big deal. Commercial photo shoot, you cannot Do that. Everything rides on me as the photographer shoots. I mean, I've done shoots where at the end of the day, the client has invested $300,000 into the photo shoot. So if I mess up, I am in major, major trouble. Right. And so I swear I would never do that. But in 2010, I got my first call from an ad agency and they were like, we really want you to do this job for Purina. This is like my first job out the gate. It was a three day shoot and. I said yes because I had to say yes, but it scared the crap out of me. I will never forget how I felt the night before the photo shoot. And the reason why this is so important is because in your creative pursuit, if you want to make more money doing what you love, you have to consistently level up in your career and do things that scare the crap out of you, because that is how you make more income. So I could have stayed and played smaller, quote unquote, as a family pet photographer in LA. But as these ad agencies started coming to me, I started realizing, wait a minute, like there is value in the work that I'm doing. People want this work. And the only reason I'm kind of like wanting to say no is because of my own fear about it. And so I forced myself to say yes. And by 2014 is when I said, you know what, family pet photography, I'm going to retire you because it takes a lot more time and I make a lot less money. With an ad job, I mean, because this is a money comp podcast, I'll just be really frank. Like an ad job, I remember I was seven months pregnant and I went out to New York for a three day shoot and I got paid $70,000. So that's like basically getting paid like a year's income and working three days. So that's why I said, you know what? I'm going to focus on this commercial photography thing and see what happens. And so to circle all the way back to your original question, what is that need I'm fulfilling? I photograph animals in a way that is very unique to me. And what I'm always trying to do is really capture their soul and really their essence. I want you to be able to see an animal and feel like you know that animal without ever having met them before. So I really love strong portrait work. And I also really love capturing that same kind of bond and essence through an animal and a person. So those are the things I am hired for the most. And when I'm working with ad agencies is because they're with brands like Fancy Feast, Purina, Milkbone. Um, It's not even with pet brands. I've done work for Nintendo, Tinder. These brands want portraits of animals that are very, very distinct, unique, heartfelt, authentic. And the pet industry is a billion-dollar industry because back in 2008, which was when I quit my ad job, That's when we had the Great Recession, and people thought I was insane for quitting my job during that time. But do you know what industry kept growing during that time? The pet industry. (laughs) People love their pets, and they will throw money at taking care of their pets. So yeah, it's a need in the world. People want good animal pictures.
1: Okay. So many things I love about this. Number one, thank you so much for being so frank about how much money you make. That is, I love it. And
0: that's not all the time, by the way, right. I just I don't want, like that's that's just like in a very extreme yeah. case. Yeah, No, no. And yeah, but that's
1: but it's nice because it, it kind of opens a door for people to say it is possible to make that kind of money if they worked at it. Right. Totally. And, it's, and I love how unapologetic you're about talking about like, this is my creative, my creativity. This is what I'm good at. This is why people come to me. I get paid the big bucks to do it. I think people are, again, very, I don't wanna say, sh- I guess, shy about saying, oh, this is how much I earn from photography or this and that. You know, I make no qualms that I make six figures as a writer because I want to show people it's possible to do that, right? Now, not all of my work is, you know, fiction writing and things like that. But but at the same time, if somebody wants to be a writer, they can say, great, Sarah makes this much. There's other people who make the same amount. And, you know, we enjoy what we do. So thank you so much for saying that. It's really interesting about the pet industry and I was going to circle back to, you know, when you quit in 2008 cuz that again great recession. But even if it wasn't 2008 or let's say you quit even when the financial situation was fine, like how did you decide to make that leap? Like did you have a savings cushion? Like how did you feel like you were ready to quit the ad advertising job and then and then eventually leap into the the commercial pet photography?
0: Yeah. You know, I'm not going to lie. It was terrifying. (laughs) It was really, really scary because I had just received a raise at work. My partner and I had written like 10 TV commercials that went viral, which at the Mm -hmm. time that word didn't even exist, but they were really popular. We got a raise. And then, you know, the ad industry at that point, people were saying 50% of the industry had been laid off. And so that was scary. And just also the financial stability aspect of it was scary. And. I'm so thankful I did this as a side hustle, which is why I am a great advocate for side hustles for people who are sort of risk averse. I know it might sound weird, but I think I'm a little bit risk averse in the sense that I only want to take very calculated risks. Like I think maybe, you know, as I move forward in life, I can take risks that feel a little riskier, I guess, but. I need to know, at least back then, that I'm taking this risk, but it's not really that much of a risk, right? Like I can always go back and find a new job. And because I had been doing that for nine months, I kind of got a sense of how busy my schedule was, how far I was booking out in advance, and how much money each client was bringing in. So by the time I quit, I had a good sort of grasp about how much work was coming my way and how much potential money I would earn from that By no means was I matching my day job income, but I just knew that it was enough to be sustainable and pay the bills. And again, I think that's why side hustles are pretty cool because you don't have that pressure to feel like you have to make the big bucks out the gate. You have time to experiment and see, you know, what do my clients want? What products are working? How much are people willing to spend on these things? And you can also spend that time to work on your craft, you know, start getting experimental with your creativity, get experimental about the things you're putting out in the world. So yeah, to answer your question, I had a side hustle and I'm really glad I did it that way.
1: I love it. I I totally agree with you on the side hustles is that it's a great way to experiment. And because I think when there's pressure to create a profit off of something, even if you don't think it compromises you, it compromises you in some way, especially if if you need to pay the mortgage, like you're gonna take on any kind of gig. And and again, like I'm not throwing shade at people who are like that. I'm just saying that if you want to do good work and have a long term kind of outlook, it's really difficult if you put the pressure on yourself to to earn money to to pay the essentials, you know, like, again, more for
0: sure. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Which is I think just that side hustle gives you that Mm -hmm. flexibility to really start honing your craft getting amazing at what you're doing and then also getting to know what it is that you like, you know, especially for something like photography. I'm just going to use that as an example because I'm a photographer. There are so many different kinds of photography you can do, right? And so for me, I knew that I loved pet photography and I wanted to be the best at it. So if you don't know what kind of photography you like with the side hustle, you can experiment and see what you like, you know?
1: Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. I am curious, like, as you were, I guess, you know, changing career paths, like, has your money relationship changed in any way? Like, were you more afraid to talk about money before, or were you always as open to talking about numbers and things like that?
0: Oh my God, that is such a good question because my money story has changed so much since I started. I did not know how deep my money issues went. (laughs) Like, (laughs) they went so. Like hindsight is twenty twenty, so I can look back now and be like, oh, yeah, I totally believed like my parents, like you can't make money doing what you love. Or, I mean, obviously, I was making money, so it was like, why do I feel like I have ceilings on how much money I can make? Just so many things digging deep into the psychology of money and how deep those beliefs go. And really, they're probably not even your own beliefs. They're beliefs that you absorbed through well-meaning family members. I didn't know any of this. And it's just through this journey of creativity and entrepreneurship, I just kept digging deeper and deeper. It was like an onion, like peeling back layers of money story. And I mean, for me, it went so deep that it's like, I'm like years into my career making great money. We have a house in LA. I mean, like we're, we're doing great. And it's like, how come I still don't feel like I'm abundant? Why do I constantly feel like I don't have enough even though I have all the evidence in front of me why it took so much digging i mean i'm going to get like kind of like really honest here um my father passed away when i was 13 i had just turned 13 and i realized that a lot of that feeling of never having enough money was because i lost my dad because my dad was a representation of stability and income and always having enough and I realized, I mean, this, and this, I'm telling you this story because just to illustrate how deep your money belief system goes. Like the fact that it linked back to my dad, and I felt like no matter how much stuff I have out in the world, there's so, something deep inside of me that still feels like I don't have enough. And it's because I will never have my dad. Other people have their dad. I don't. I will never have him. So thereby, I will always feel this feeling of not having something. And it goes so deep. But then to now have that awareness of it means I can begin fixing it because I have an emotion deep within me that I didn't even know why it was there. And once you realize why it's there, that's when you can start shifting it. So my money beliefs went really, really deep. And now it's kind of like, I mean, obviously, I still am working through it every day. It's not like you uncover it and it goes away. One really recently, I mean, I've been doing this for 11 years. And one really recently, I would say in the last few months, I realized was, My parents told me so much that you can't make a living doing what you love. And they showed me through their example, you can make money, but it has to be something that's really hard, something you don't like. And so, if you do the math on that, this is the way it came out for me. It's you can do something you love, but that's enough, (laughs) right? Like making money is the cherry on top of the ice cream sundae, but you know, you are blessed to even be able to just do what you love and making money is the bonus. And I was like, that is bull crap. I can't believe I'm carrying around this belief with me. Like I've been making money, yes, but I'm gonna make even more money now because I'm gonna get rid of this belief I have.
1: I love that. Wow, thank you for being so honest. I think it's so interesting. And I think I've been, I'm full full time for like, this is my third year, but been writing for six-ish now, seven And I I will say this, like self-employment side hustling is like the best therapy. (laughs) Like you just just uncover all this stuff. And like, you know, for me, a lot of my I thought I had my money stuff together, too, until I quit teaching. And then it just all of it came up. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Like one of them was this conversation. It was like I know it was an insignificant conversation to my mom and like probably to me in the grand scheme thing, but the one thing I come back to is whenever I remember asking my mother an accounting question and she kind of turned around and and smiled and then turned back and started talking to my sister. And it was like the message I picked up was like, you know, you don't need to know this because it's too complicated for you, even though that wasn't her Mm. intent. So that was something I had to unpack for years. And it's still something I'm I'm working through, even though I obviously know a lot more than I than I did before. So
0: yeah. yeah. And you know what I think is interesting too is something I say on my show all the time is that you need to do your work on the inside if you want to make the best possible work on the outside. And that I say that in relation to everything. I mean the most obvious stuff is with your self-confidence. You had said earlier, you know, I'm so unabashedly confident in myself about my work. I wasn't always this way. You know, I've been doing this for 11 years, but I wasn't always this way when I started my business. Gosh, Like, you know, clients would just, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to get into (laughs) it, but yes, my confidence. I mean, just emails I would get from them or, you know, I've gotten emails where they thought they were responding to like a friend talking smack about my pricing Mm. and then they put me on it by accident. So I'm like reading everything they're saying about me. I mean, like just, Your confidence level grows with time, but also with intense inner work and reflection and intentionally trying to become more confident. But that's just with everything, your resilience, your grit. But it also applies to your money mindset. And so if you want to make money with your creativity, I highly, highly encourage you, if you haven't already, to those listening, start digging into what your money story is. Because if you want to be successful financially at what you do, you have to know what those blocks and beliefs are inside of you. Because even something as seemingly innocent as your mom glancing at you a certain way, like that lingers in your body as a memory and it sticks with you. And that kind of stuff, I for some people, this might sound a little bit woo-woo, but it's like that emotional memory sticks with you and then dictates how you operate in the world and how you see the world. And if that stuff is deep in you and you don't even have awareness of it, how is that going to affect the way you feel about the work you're putting out there and the value that your work has?
1: Love it. Love it. One last question is, how are you living beyond the dollar?
0: For me, I want to be able to live life feeling wealthy and abundant, regardless of how much money I have in the bank account. Like, I don't want the amount of money I have in the bank to reflect my self-worth or how I feel like How abundant I feel like my life is because I think that money we have is only one aspect of our life and the true abundance we have. I am abundance in health. I am abundant in love. I am abundant in purpose and I am abundant in fulfillment. And I don't want how much money I make or how little money I make to reflect or affect the truth of me feeling abundant no matter what. So that's how I live beyond the dollar.
1: Awesome. Grace, where can people find you?
0: I'm on Instagram at the Grace Chan. I post almost every day. So if you need you know, a little break from the crazy pace of life, I always post really cute pictures of animals. You can find me there. I also have a podcast called Creativity School. So if you're interested in learning how to tap into your unique creativity and get it out into the world, you can Google or look it up. It's Creativity School with Grace Chan. And if you want to look at my photography, it's gracechon.com.
1: Awesome. I'll make sure to have all those links in the show notes. Grace, thank you so much again for coming on Beyond the Dollar.
0: Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun.
1: All right. I really hope you enjoy this chat with Grace. Grace was just a delight to have on the show. We chatted quite a bit before and post recording. And I am really looking forward to hearing your feedback on this one because she's just, you could just hear her passion and excitement and confidence about cultivating creativity in everyone and helping you use that to live a better life. So today's parting question is, what are some ways you can hone in on your skills and think about how you can get creative in your profession? It could be just something very little, or if you're not unsure, think about like what is it about your job that you are Creative at like what are some skills that you are using right now that are actually creative and then go from there. So no questions from listeners today. I do have a backlog. I'll try to reply to in DMs and emails individually. I just wanted to have a really quick honest conversation about what is going on with the podcast and and season five. So like I mentioned in the last episode, I will be taking a longer break for between seasons and. Part of that is because if you've heard the solo episode a few episodes ago, I was going through a little bit of, I guess you can say, burnout. Um, I took on a lot. Anytime I have a project, I put 110% into each one. And I, you know, when you have four or five projects going on at the same time, you're trying to have a good relationship with your family and children and all of the things, it gets a bit much. Now, I'm not complaining, but I do want to make sure that Beyond the Dollar is a place where you can come to have deep and honest conversations about money, about life. I don't want to just bring on experts to teach you jargon. That's not really the intent of this podcast. The intent is for us to open up a dialogue so that we can use money as a way to live a better life. And so it does take time and effort to find these people because a lot of them To be very frank, it's difficult to be so vulnerable about something as taboo as money. So part of that is that. And part of the other reason is I don't want to feel like I'm just publishing episodes to publish episodes. So taking a break, I think, will help. If you have any suggestions on what you would like to hear for the next season or you want to just say hi, I will be pretty active on Instagram. I was on Twitter, but I think I'm going to really just focus on Instagram. Again, I don't want to spread myself too thin on anything. So social media is one of those where I'm sure you know you can get pretty sucked in. So again, my uh, username for Instagram is beyondthedollar. You can also contact me via email, hello at beyondthedollar.co. And thank you so much for your support. Throughout this podcast, I am so deeply grateful that I get to chat with amazing people and listeners like you. And hopefully, you know, I had shone a light on your relationship with money and that you are taking some actions toward living a better life. So here's me signing off until next season. Thank you so much for listening in on Beyond the Dollar. If you like what you heard, please share with a friend. It'll help share the mission of what we're trying to do, which is to have more deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. Tag them on Instagram, on one of my posts at Beyond the Dollar, send them a link, whatever you want to do to spread the mission of what we're doing around here. And if you feel that putting money towards the things that really matter is a challenge for you, download our values-based spending guide. You'll gain clarity around what matters to you most in life, be able to name your most important values, and how to start putting money towards those things. To download the values-based spending guide, go to www.beyondthedollar.co. Thank you again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Beyond the Dollar. By the way, don't you love the new intro music? Thank you so much to Donovan Durance for providing this awesome song.